Hey everyone, it's uh, so glad to have you tuning in uh, today. As uh, Dan said, I'm Matt, I'm one of the pastors here at Liberty Church. Um, just wanted to extend my welcome to you all, particularly if this is maybe your first time that you've stumbled across us. Uh, you've never been able to be in this building or you've never even clinked, clicked on the link before. Uh, well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, I know that some of what we do may seem a bit weird to you, a bit unusual, but please just uh, stick with us. We'll try and explain things as we go along. And what you'll find today is that uh, we're going to look at a section of the Bible together. We do that every week here. Um, we're going to look at some verses which may actually be familiar to you, or at least perhaps you've heard of, because it's one of the most famous stories in the Bible um, where Jesus feeds the 5,000 uh, and you can read about it in all of the all of the Gospels. There's actually one story of Jesus feeding 4,000 people another story which seems to be a separate event where he feeds 5,000 people and you can read those stories in all of the Gospels but we're going to be looking at what the Gospel of Luke tells us about this story today. We've been working through the Gospel of Luke and we've been using the different meals that you see in that book to kind of help us navigate through. So if you have a Bible with you, um, you if you want to turn to Luke chapter 9, we're going to read from verse 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, then the words are going to appear as if by magic on the screen here. Or you can, on your phone, Google it and you'll, I'm sure you'll find across, come across the right stuff. So here we go, Luke chapter 9. Verse 10 to 17. It says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this book. We thank you that we can come to it and we can feed on you today that you will provide us with all the nourishment that we need today. We thank you as we, as we come to you again and again. You satisfy us. You satisfy us 
completely. And I pray that as we look at this passage today, that in homes right across this city, you'd be speaking to people, you'd be feeding them with your word. As we gather around your table to join in your meal today, that we would know your heavenly provision in our hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever worked for a company or a business that has a, 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 mis- a mission statement, a kind of a, a declared purpose for their business. Or even this time of year, we've got an election coming up in a few weeks' time, and there'll be lots of talks of political manifestos, of statements, missions, things that people are going to do and going to, are going to achieve. And for Jesus, when he came into the world, he came to speak, as it says here at the start of this passage, he came to speak, preach, and proclaim the kingdom of God. That was one of the things he was, perhaps the main thing he was preoccupied with, was to tell people about his kingdom. At the start of the book of Luke, in chapter 4, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. For I was sent for this purpose. That's his stated purpose. That's his mission statement. His, his intent was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And all through the story of the Bible, again and again, we come across this as the purpose of God. It's more than just individually rescuing us to be part of his family but he's rescuing us to be part of his kingdom his kingdom being his rule and reign over all of his creation working out in all things as a Dutch theologian who lived about 50-60 years ago Gerhardus, uh, probably saying his name wrong Voss, he says the kingdom of God first, here it is on the screen is the realm of God's saving grace. Second, the realm of righteousness and justice. And third, the realm of blessing and joy. That's a great definition of what the kingdom of God is. Sounds like something we'd all love to be part of. And that's, if you go right back to the story, the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, you see Adam and Eve living in the very first kingdom that God's established in his garden, being given dominion, authority within his kingdom to tend and look after the earth. His kingdom of God starts from the beginning and flows throughout history. But there's been a problem. Rebellion. See, in in humanity, it's our sin, our rebellion has distorted this kingdom we chose to step out of the kingdom of God and pursue our own plans and desires and if you look back through the history of our world you can see again and again different kingdoms different empires that have risen and then they fade away the historian Arnold Toynbee said there was no progress to hail in world history just empires that came and went and again and again you'll see it through the the ancient Greeks the Babylonians the Assyrians the 
the Romans, the British Empire, emperors that rise, and then they fall. They crash to the ground. And we read the same through the story of Scripture. Again and again, you see little kingdoms appear, little kingdoms that rise up. The story of the Tower of Babel or Babel in Genesis where they decide that they want to, in this great city, build this great tower to reach up. And it's them setting up their own kingdom and dominion, but it crashes and falls away. And even today, we see the same thing happening. We might not find our allegiance drawn so much to kind of kings and great empires anymore, but there are still different tribes that call us to follow them or tribes that we're fearful of that worry us, concern us whether it's the political polarisation we see around us different political parties setting up their stand and if you're not with them you're against them if you're not on their side you're on the wrong side or around us we see different movements appearing that call us to follow them. And some of these tribes, they're not necessarily bad. Often they're pursuing many of what we might see as good things, biblical things, godly things, fruits of the kingdom of God, but they don't want the king. They're kingdoms without the king. Kings, kingdoms set up that don't need God, that have rejected God. And ultimately, that's been the story of humanity. That all the time we're trying to move away from the kingdom of God and set up our own kingdoms, which really, more than anything else, they're just the kingdoms of ourself. That's normally what it boils down to at the end of the day. That the only person we want to have real authority in our lives. The only person we want to rule and reign over us is ourselves. Excuse me, is ourselves and no one else. And this rejection of the rule of God, the kingdom of God, another Dutch theologian, Johan Bavink, said that this was a collective self deification. What he means by that is that all the time we're trying to make ourselves the deity, the God. We want to put ourselves on the throne. We want to put ourselves in charge. And any movement that we might collectively come together to join with, the goal is always the empowerment of humanity, ourselves being in charge we want to be rulers of our own empires, lords of our own fate. And this was, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, this was the very first sin that we see recorded in Scripture of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That they want to eat from the fruit of the tree so that they can become like God. They want to usurp God. They want to begin to establish their own Empire, their own sphere of influence, get their own wisdom. They don't need God to tell them what to do anymore. And you might ask, which is a good question to ask, what does this have to do with this meal, this familiar story 
five loaves and two fish, this sort of Sunday school meal that we know so much about. We see the, the purpose of this meal, which might be an odd idea to think. You think, well, meals is just, we just eat food. We just sit down and we, we eat our vegetables and our meat. That's just what we do. But some meals, and particularly the meals we see in Scripture, they have a purpose to them. We, we have these meals from time to time. If you go to someone's birthday and you have a meal together, there's a purpose for that gathering. If you go to a wedding and you have the wedding feast together, there's a purpose for that occasion. And this meal in the Bible has a purpose. What Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to show his disciples who he is. So you see right at the start of the story, it says that... Uh, on the, the, the return of the apostles, Jesus gathered them together. He'd set, at the start of Luke 9, he'd sent them out to do his mission, and then he calls them back together because he wants to kind of debrief, but he also wants to tell them something. But the, the crowd skate crash. They find where Jesus is. These 5,000 men, it was probably around 20,000 people in total. They crowd in around, and Jesus doesn't quite get to do what perhaps he was intending, but what he does instead is he uses the meal to teach his disciples something. And he wants to show them that he is the promised Messiah, the promised king who's come to inaugurate, to bring in, to start his new kingdom. And how do we know this? Well, this, this passage in scripture, the best way if you come across a piece of scripture and you want to figure out what it's about, first of all is start, read the passage itself, but then read around it, read what happens before, what happens afterwards. And what happens both before and afterwards are two questions. First of all, in verse 9, King, Ser King Herod, when he's reflecting on this character, Jesus, he asks this question, who is this? Who is this Jesus? And then later on, after this passage that we've been reading, in verse 18, Jesus says to his disciples, who do the crowd say that I am? What, what are the rumors going around? What are they saying about me? And then in the next verse, he addresses his disciples directly and says, who do you say that I am? And that's what this passage is about. Is Jesus trying to give them that answer. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, one of his disciples, answers, and he says, you're Christ the Lord which Christ, that word means like anointed one, Messiah, King. He's saying, you are Jesus Christ. You are the Lord, the King, the Messiah over our lives. So that's the purpose of this meal, is to display Jesus as the Messiah. And it might seem, why do they have to do this over a meal? Why can't Jesus just tell them? But again, all through scripture, we see different occasions. So in Exodus chapter 16, when the people of God are abandoned in the wilderness and God sends the manna from heaven, he feeds them. He gives them this meal to point to them to the glory of God and to display the fruit and the power of his kingdom. And again and again, there are stories all through scripture where the coming glory of the king and his kingdom they appear through, the story is told through a, a banquet, through a meal. In Isaiah 25, in Zechariah 14, 
in the, the book of John at the wedding at Cana, Jesus announces his arrival, his very first miracle he performs is to, is to provide wine at this wedding feast. He's saying to them, the kingdom of God is here. At this feeding of the 5,000 at Jesus' last supper through to the end of the Bible, the wedding supper of the Lamb, again and again, we're gathered around the table to sit with our King, Jesus, to enjoy this meal with our Messiah, that the promised Messiah, the King, has come. He's arrived to bring his kingdom. Now, what does all this mean? This might, I might be painting a pretty kind of theological picture, which sounds exciting, but what does this actually mean for our lives? We well, see, there's a... Today, for you, wherever you're watching this, whoever you're with, whatever kind of week you've had, there's a kingdom banquet, a meal with this Messiah that you're invited to today. And that might sound a bit vague and a bit silly, but think of it this way, that all the time you're being invited to join with different tribes to side with different kingdoms, to give your life to different priorities, to follow this cause, to pursue this dream, to follow this leader, this person. You might think the idea of someone like me standing up and preaching from the Bible seems very old-fashioned, but the reality is all the time you're being preached to, all the time you're being bombarded with enticing, compelling invitations to join with one tribe or one kingdom or another, to follow all these different ideas and plans and purposes, whether it's through your friends, through your workplace, on social media, all the time you're being preached at, you're being bombarded with different invitations. But the invitation to join in with a kingdom lifestyle, with following King Jesus and enjoying the fruits of his kingdom, it's, it's better than any other offer you'll receive. Let's look at a few reasons why. We'll look in the, the passage to see what it's telling us. First of all, we find that it's, in the kingdom of God, we find a, a welcome, it's a welcoming kingdom. It's not, in any way tribalistic. You see, in verse 11, it says, the, when the crowds learned where Jesus was, they followed him, and very simply, he welcomed them. Again and again, as we go through this book, we find story after story of Jesus welcoming people, all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds. He rejects he, he, he welcomes them, and there's a rejection of any kind of tribalism. Because in our world all the time, we're invited to join in with these different missions, these different belief systems, these different kingdoms, and they, they often claim a, a tolerance, but yet end up being very intolerant. That if you don't subscribe to a particular way of thinking, then, then you're, you're out. You don't fit. If you don't use the right language, then you must be banished away. 
all the time. We have to be careful about what we say, how we communicate, because we're, we're scared of being thrown out of the tribe, of people judging us and thinking that we don't fit, that we don't belong. And yet Jesus welcomes us. And that's the invitation we want to put to you today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, there's a, a welcome waiting for you today. He wants to embrace you. He wants to draw near to you, to, to show you his love, to show you that this great king, this Messiah, also comes to be our saviour and our friend. And then in the kingdom of God, we also find, we also find true healing instead of surface solutions. It says when this crowd gathered around him and he welcomed them, he says he, he cured those who had need of, of healing. And again and again we see this in scripture where people come to Jesus and he, he heals them. And that might be a bit of a mystery to you because perhaps you don't see that in your life today. Perhaps you've been sick or ill, have had friends or family members have been ill and you've prayed for them because you believe in the power of prayer and I do too. You believe that God heals today and I do as well. But then you pray and sometimes it, it doesn't work and you think, well, why is that? A part of understanding the kingdom of God is that there's a kingdom of God that we live in now but there's also a not yet of the kingdom of God. That it won't be fully realized until, until he returns again and we're with him forever in his new kingdom. But yet there are still fruits of the kingdom now, many of them, abundant fruits. God does heal today. And keep praying for people in faith. Don't abandon that. Keep believing that God can work in people's lives because he does. He brings physical healing, but all the time, in perhaps in often unseen ways, Jesus brings a deep healing for our souls. There's a fuller, deeper healing. And the tribes and the kingdoms around us will often offer us solutions, you know, five ways to happiness, ten ways to survive lockdown three ways to be physically fit and mentally well in 2021. All the time you're given lots of therapeutic solutions because the tribes around us, they, they recognize rightly the brokenness inside all of us. But only Jesus can truly heal you. Only Jesus can offer you true healing. Only he can heal the wounds in your heart. And in his kingdom, we find true mercy instead of just behavioral adjustment. We see that the disciples, in their, their beginnings of understanding the mercy of God, they see that this crowd is needy. They see that they're going to need someone to, to, to get provisions. And they say to Jesus, look, we really need to send them away now so they can go and eat, which is good. They're, they're seeing the need, they're wanting to address it. And that's the same as so many of these, these tribes, these kingdoms without a king around us, is that they, they see the need in our lives. 
They see the, the needs, the weaknesses in our society. They see injustice. They see a lack of mercy and they have compassion. But often the answers amount to little more than just adjusting our behavior or modifying our language. And those things aren't bad in, the, in and of themselves. Language is powerful. We should be careful how we use our words. Our behavior is obviously important. We should change sometimes the things that we do. But if you never change your heart, then the problems are going to remain in society. If we're always just tinkering with the surface issues, we'll never fix the deep wounds in the world around us. And what Jesus does is he sees their real need of the people and he has a true mercy, a mercy that from our heart brings about an internal change by the power of the gospel pointing us to the glory of God. And when that sort of change begins in your heart, it's unstoppable. And often without you even knowing it, it will affect how you think, how you feel about the people around you. All of a sudden, you'll find a compassion within you that you didn't know before, because Jesus has put it there. You'll find a care and a love for people that, that is alien to you, because he's put it there. A true mercy will be birthed in your heart. Also in the kingdom of God, there's true obedience instead of self-determination. We have this wonderful little story here where Jesus tells his disciples what to do and there's a wonderfully simple verse where it just says, and they did so and had them all sit down. They, they did so. Jesus told them what to do and they did it. See, living in the kingdom of God is about submitting to the rule of God in your life instead of the rule of you in your life. Now that might sound scary. Submission, that's a scary thing to do. But actually, it's, it would only be scary if Jesus wasn't good. But he is good. So there's nothing to fear. You can submit your entire life to him. You can trust him with everything you have because he's good. He's faithful. He will care for you. See, all around us all the time, perhaps the greatest claim of all these competing tribes and kingdoms is that they tell us the, the lie of self-determination, that we can decide what's best for us, that we can decide even who we are, that we can decide what we're supposed to be like, that we're supposed to define the destiny for our lives. But the truth is, that's a false idol. If you live your life pursuing that, if you live your life pursuing yourself effectively, yeah, there's no joy there. There's no blessing there. And yet, the very countercultural thing to do, the scary thing to do perhaps, is saying, it's not, not my will be done, but yours. Submitting your life to the rule of Jesus will bring blessing and joy into your life. And this obedience the disciples do isn't passive. It's not just sitting back and reading the Bible and enjoying it. They, they get their hands dirty. They want to serve people. 
And God calls us to obedience in loving and serving our city and the people around us, often in very practical ways. And often that obedience will proceed, it will go before understanding. Think about how weird it would be for Jesus to say, just, just get them all to sit down in groups of 50 people. And why? Like, Jesus, what, you've just got five loaves and two fish. What are you going to do? But they're obedient anyway. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes Jesus will call you to things and you won't know why. It won't make any sense to you. You'll read this book and it will, it will give you a way of living that it seems just so weird compared to how everyone else lives around us. When we consider how we, how, uh, how we use the gift of sex that the Bible talks about. When the Bible says it's something for, between a, a man and a woman in marriage. That seems so weird compared to what the world around us says. And yet this is good news. This is God's great plan for your flourishing that will do you good. And sometimes we don't know why, but we want to be obedient anyway and find the blessing afterwards. Next, this kingdom of God, in it we find true provision instead of false security. So many of these kingdoms and tribes around us will offer us financial security if we invest in these things if we do if we get our bitcoin or whatever it will offer us peace of mind wellness but the only the only thing that will satisfy is jesus let me turn to john chapter six which dan read at the beginning which is another account of this meal and what jesus does in john six he says this, first of all in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. There's so much food around you that's offered to you. Taste this, feed on this, drink this, and it will satisfy you. You'll get security here, you'll get peace here but it will perish, it will rot, it won't last. Jesus goes on to say in verse 35 of John 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Only Jesus satisfies. And with him, there's a super abundance of blessing. It says at the end here that there were 12 baskets of food left over Lots of people speculate about the meaning of the number 12 there. I think what Jesus, the Bible was trying to say to us is there was just a lot. <laughs> there was just so much left over from these five loaves and two fish, 20,000 people ate, and yet there were still baskets and baskets of leftover food. See, the kingdom of God isn't a gray, restrictive kingdom. It's one of blessing and joy and abundance. When we come to him, there's so much blessing to be had. I'm going to read Psalm 23, or a few verses from it to finish. And then Joe's going to come and lead us in some songs of worship. It says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. 
my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's your invitation today, is come to the bread of life. And it was his body that was broken for you. That's just the breaking of the bread symbolizes his body broken, where Jesus takes our place so that we can know his provision, his superabundant blessing in our lives. And if we come today and sit at the table he's prepared for us, his goodness and mercy shall flow. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you came not just to tell us about, but to bring uh, the first fruits of your kingdom into the world, that you've begun something new in the world now. And this growing in its might and authority and power all the time, and we want to live our lives as children of your kingdom. We thank you that's what you've done, Jesus. You've transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You've sat us down at your table. You've welcomed us despite all our flaws and failings. Your body was broken so that we could come and enjoy the bread of life that we find in you. We pray, help us to live out the wonderful fruits and blessings of your kingdom. And pray, Holy Spirit, you'd equip equip us, enable us to do that. We thank you that before anything else, it's a kingdom of worship. And we pray that uh, you'd help us to come and sing praise and worship to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.